0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T a M and let accountability be your guide. Hello everyone. Welcome to the addicted mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin and I'm your host and we are on to episode 121. So today's guest is Wanja Joy, and she is the host of the Wanja On Air Actions in Recovery podcast, and she shares her story of struggling with alcohol and how she used it to cover up, eventually overcoming her own shame, guilt, perfectionism to reach out for help and change her life, and then Bring that change to others. Had a great time talking with Wanja. She is just a genuine spirit and really wants to bring joy to other people. All right. Before we start, if you're enjoying the podcast, think about sharing it with a friend or go write a review. I'd really appreciate that. That really does help get the Addicted Mind a lot of exposure and helps people find the podcast. And I would really appreciate it. Also, if you wanna continue the conversation online, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online there as well. All right, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Wanja Joy, and her podcast is Wanja On Air, and she is going to talk about her story and her story of recovery. Wanda, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Thanks, Duane. My name is Wanja, and I am super grateful to be here. I sound like a 15-year-old. I have teenagers around me all the time, so I use these words like super. Um, about <laughs> a thousand times over and I catch myself. I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm excited to share what for a while used to be a source of shame for me. I was actually reflecting back because one of the benefits of being brought into a platform where you're sharing with others, it gives you a moment to reflect. And I was just reflecting back at a time when I would never have said any of what I'm about to talk about, because, you know, um, I was born in Kenya and I've lived in the States longer than I lived in Kenya, so my my accent's very confusing to a lot of people, um, including right, yeah. myself. <laughs> 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 you know, certain, certain words don't go away, uh, um, so when I'm in Kenya, I sound different. When I'm here, I sound different. So that's always been a big part of my story: is is uh, who's that person? And so uh, I mentioned, wow. you know, I live I live in the States now. And so I'm just, I call myself a child of the universe. A little bit about me is I am, I mentioned Kenya and I was raised by two educators. My mom and dad were both, uh, they stemmed from education. Uh, my dad grew his career uh, beyond, you know, teaching and the classroom and principal and he grew his career into the government where he ran the education system in the country. So, you know, he he was an authoritarian parent for sure. Uh, He passed away 17 years ago this last month. So uh, I can't believe it. It feels like it was just yesterday. Being raised by educators, the reason I bring that up, that's a big part of my story, being raised by educators. Uh, Now that I'm where I am today, it was positive in so many ways. There was always Especially when my mother was my own teacher in my own classroom, there was always a, a sense of, you know, you need to do a little bit more, you know, and and I don't think she verbalized it as much as I told myself, you know, I need to be a good example, you know, my mom is is a teacher, you know, and and I'm her daughter, and um, and and we were not given an option to do things like reading, you know, it was not an option to have good grades, you know, it was not, those things were not optional. So when I ended up, you know, in my height of my disease, I realized that I was actually brewing perfectionism from a very young age. Uh, And and so that, I think, stemmed from that. Nothing wrong. It's just a part of my story.
0: And you had said something earlier, which I think is, is pretty universal for a lot of people who are struggling with addiction, you know, having so much shame around it, having this idea that you have to hide it and keep it secret. And, and that goes really well with perfectionism. Yes.
1: Yes. Because to me, I was now broken, you know it was it was really sad i remember when i got my first infraction my first driving infraction had nothing to do. It was actually a warning. It wasn't even it wasn't even going on my record. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I've I've messed my record. Now the next police officer who pulls me over, they're gonna know. I mean, it was amazing how my brain worked around perfectionism, around protecting myself, my identity, my name. And I I love your your podcast and I love that it focuses on the the mind because way before I picked up a substance, I did have a disease of perception and it all resonated in my mind and it started really young and there are some key factors you know i have two older brothers i have that authoritarian dad i mentioned uh her home was fairly quiet and six years later my younger brother came around and so i always felt a sense of protection you know i always felt a sense of you know i was being the only girl i I got a lot of attention you know from my brothers and, and my dad and my and my mom And I always had that sense of everything is going to be okay. But in my head, somehow I formulated the story that was very different from that. I didn't feel like I belonged, you know, Uh, nobody ever told me that when my little brother came along, I felt a sense of my mom had been taken away from me and it was all in my mind. And not knowing that I had a mind that actually blew things up. You know, It had an obsessive mind. You know, once I planted a little seed, it became a plant in my mind, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that kind of anxiousness that kind of blossoms, so to speak. So one of the things that really struck me as we're talking and, and listening to your story and listening to your podcast was that alcohol didn't really come on the scene until later in your life, but it sounds like there was this, like you said, a seed that was planted or something that was there that kind of grew. And I guess alcohol kind of came along and did something.
1: Yes. Part of my story, and we'll get to that later, but this is an integral part. Um, Part of my story is I actually ended up in a rehabilitation center and I still wasn't convinced I had a problem. Interestingly enough, although I self-checked in I was still, there was still a little part of me that wasn't really good right. because as you mentioned, I hadn't drunk alcohol for a long time. I didn't understand how the disease worked to begin with. And I remember there's a woman who came in and she was, I believe, 56 years old or 57 and she had just retired. And um, as soon as she retired, she started drinking behind closed doors And it progressed really quickly. And she ended up checking herself and that I don't remember her name. Mm -hmm. Actually, I do remember her name because she had the same name. That's another significant thing. She had the same name as my mother. Um, And I remember picking my attention going, oh, my gosh, she just told a part of my story because I was so I was distraught. I didn't understand how deep this was, because in my mind, my my I call it my drug. It's, although it's a liquid, although it's alcohol, I still consider it a drug. My drug of no choice, because at the end I didn't have a choice, is right. alcohol. And in my mind, when, when growing up and everything else in between, I just thought alcohol is a liquid and you could have it or leave it. But at some point, for me, I was obsessive about it. And I knew that was a normal. So my choice was at the time with this mind, with this mind of mine that plants a seed and blows it up was, I'm just going to hide it. I'm not going wow. to side of me to anybody.
0: So you kept this all secret as it kind of grew. How did you start to realize like, maybe this is an issue or it's bigger than, than what I think it is?
1: Oh my gosh. Oh, where do I start with that? A little inklings, like about six years before I ended up in recovery. I remember I was driving home. I had a, a, a really you know, good career and I would leave work at a certain time. I was also a workaholic <laughs> and I would leave work at a certain time feeling like, oh, I just need something. But at that time, although we had alcohol in our home, You know, I I was married at the time and my my husband didn't know this is what was going on. So I convinced myself that I just need to pick something up on my way home. And remember, we have alcohol at home. Like it's, it's there's nothing abnormal, unusual about getting home and grabbing a glass of wine. But I knew in the back of my mind, I knew a glass wouldn't be enough. And I would grab that glass absolutely, but I wanted something behind the scenes because I knew I wanted more. At the wow. time, I wow. needed more, but I knew I wanted more than I was willing to show. I remember that's the first as I drove to get that, knowing I have it at home. You know, knowing that nobody's telling me not to do this, I just something in my gut said, "I don't think this is normal. I don't think people do this," but I did it anyway you know right. that that was an interesting thing i i didn't have any kind of resistance for myself you know my i call my I, I talk about myself sometimes in two different people you know because it's like i was observing myself doing something and i couldn't stop it you know um and i think that's that was my first seed uh, it was not the only time it happened but th- that's when i remember paying close attention to it
0: So you started to really notice this, like, kind of like, I know something's not right here. This is a little bit more than normal. And then it kept just escalating and getting worse. It,
1: It kept progressing. So it was because of that big secret. So if you invited me over to your house for a party and I knew there would be alcohol and I wasn't showing that side of myself, I had two choices, either I don't come or I, you know, I know more than two choices. Either I don't come or I come and don't stay long or I I come and allow you to pour me one glass of wine. But since big purses were in fashion, I had my own, you know? And so it was just little things that were just not normal. And, you know, in front of everybody, because big purses were in fashion, nobody's going to ask me what's in my purse. And I have, I have a family externally. Everything looks really good. Um,
0: that fits really it. good with what you mentioned earlier about perfectionism. Yes, you know, yes. <laughs> I've got, yes. everything's perfect. Everything's good. And I got this little hidden thing in my purse over here that no one knows about.
1: Everything is in control. And um, somehow before it got worse, I was able to say, okay, I'm not, I'm only going to, because I, knew, I didn't know when I would stop. So I was only able to take something smaller not a whole lot, you know, you're, this is, is helping me go back. I mean, like literally I'm watching, it's like watching myself like a movie and taking these actions. And then of course I am lying to protect this and, and it's to protect this. So it's, if somebody's around you, they know something is wrong. Something is not right, but your words are totally different. So it's almost like you even drive them insane. Like, am I I suspicions wrong? What's going on? And I was in such denial that I actually believed my own lies. You know? Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) It's it's crazy how, uh, as human beings, we can be so creative with that
1: very creative with that. And, um, and I do consider myself an addict. So I know that's one big part of, of being an addict is dishonesty, um, especially surrounding the substance, protecting yourself from anybody keeping that substance, whatever it is, away from you. And for me, interestingly enough, it was a legal substance. It was legal. Like, there was nobody stopping me from doing it, except I lived in a state that wouldn't sell it at certain times, on certain days, and that drove me crazy. Um, (laughs) So when
0: when did you start to get honest, I guess? So when did the honesty start to have to happen?
1: So all those little things I mentioned about my childhood – One of my first addictions was actually obsessions with goals and obsessions, compulsive behaviors around things, because I had this checklist of my life. And nobody gave me that checklist. Nobody told me that's how I needed to live my life. Somehow I convinced myself things like I have to have my children by the time I'm the age of 30. I have to, you know what I mean? And before that, I need a husband. I need to have a career that I'm going to retire in. So I had this checklist of a life and um, I had some childhood trauma that I, I had that taken place and I had never discussed it with anyone. You know, I had started using alcohol to help me cope, really, because all that's, stuff was starting to bubble up and I remember for me it was when I, I don't call it a bottom. it was a restlessness I cannot describe. it was a fear it was paralyzing fear it was it was emotions that had no name to them. Um, it was it, it was horrible because I'd reached a point where I knew I couldn't really drink but I didn't know how to stop because I was a binge drinker I could stop but I always got started. So what transpired was I asked for help. I went to the opposite of what anybody would go to. I went to a friend's home. I called a friend who I knew didn't drink alcohol. She didn't drink right. alcohol and she was 7 months pregnant at the time. You know, she has she has babies now. I I measure my my amount of time sober with her children because she was 7 months pregnant with her first child at the time and I was amazed For the first time, I actually called and I said, I need help. Now, keep in mind, I think looking back, why would I go to someone who didn't know how to help me? I think there was still a little part of me that didn't really want the help, but I knew I needed the help.
0: In some ways, she might have been a safe person for you, or you felt that, you know, she might not judge you in some way that she could offer this.
1: Yes. Uh, And what was interesting is she asked me, she was safe for me. She's still safe for me. She asked me how she could help me. That's when I said, take me to my therapist.
0: That's, that's awesome. I, I want to go back a little bit because you were talking about this drive and this push and this unsettled feeling. And I also want to know, how old were you when you came from Kenya? And how, did, how was coming to the United States? a part of that, I would imagine that added to that pressure. I'm making that up, but I'm just guessing.
1: <laughs> so I'm le- I don't remember what I had for breakfast. So if I don't remember some of your questions, please repeat them to me. How old was I? So I, I set up my mind way before there was Netflix and all the other stuff you can watch. I used to read. I used to read series of books. So at a very, very young age, I convinced myself, that mind I was talking about earlier, I convinced myself that I had to move to the States. Why the States? I don't know. You know, my, my dad used to travel a lot and he spent most of my, he spent some time in, in in the States. He also spent some time in, in Europe. I remember, and he used to sometimes take one of us with him. Um, and, and, but he always brought back a lot of souvenirs and stuff. And somehow I locked my mind to moving to the States and that I graduated high school at the age of 16. And that was interesting to me because my, my parents were not the type of parents who would let their child, especially their only daughter, move to a different country. But that's when I really got to see how my mind and myself will, how strong they are, because I did everything possible in this world to convince them. So I was 16 when I graduated. They said, no, absolutely. And I'm moving to a different country at the age of 16 to go to university. You need to go to university here first. So I went there first and I did a, a d- degree, diploma equivalent in America, in graphic design, because. I was really, I still am really good with graphics and art. And, but my parents were the type of parents who wanted a doctor. They wanted the big careers, you know, like they said, that's a hobby. I was around 20, uh, when I, when I moved here and, uh, I came directly to go to college. And so I literally made going to college my job. So I did a four year degree in two. Um, it was, uh, but it was all that obsessive mind. It was all that, all of that bubble stuff that I was telling you about. All, yeah. Go ahead.
0: I could just, I was just going to say, I can feel the pressure just as you talk about it. And like that drive, that intense drive in you that was just pushing you forward. Yes. But without thinking about maybe some other stuff that was going on.
1: Yes. And, um, and what was interesting is at the time, I just thought that's what everybody does. I just thought that like, what's, what's, you go to college to go to college. I didn't have fun in college. You know what I mean? Like I remember a friend of mine I met and, um, and she said to me, you know, let's go do this. Let's go do that. And I said, no, 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 I gotta, I gotta study. She literally took my books, put them in her car. And and she goes. So now you have nothing to study. Let's go. You know. And and so if you if you force because I love things like dancing. I love to dance, and I wouldn't even need a drink when I was dancing. Uh, but somehow I had this mind that was made up that I needed to do certain things at certain times. And I, sp- I felt like I was being delayed because now I'm I'm setting my degree later than I wanted to, and so I have to I have to catch up. So no, I can't take uh, 16 credits. I have to take 22. I mean, it was insane. Now that I look back. That's my story, though. And that's that that's the story that I get to honor and see and almost watch myself like, wow, child. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, No wonder you finally picked up alcohol. You know, I get to laugh at her now because I have to separate that, you know, that individual uh, from from the person that I am today. But I don't push her away. I don't, you know, shame her. I I really did make the best decisions I could at that time with what I thought I knew, which was really limited and very ego-driven, you know?
0: Yeah. And I would say that younger person, you know, when we look back on our life, that younger person, in some ways, they're in some kind of pain they don't know they're in. Yes. I I don't know if that makes sense.
1: It it is. And, And interestingly enough, so being from Kenya, running as part of, you know, the culture, and so the way I describe myself best is is I'm literally and figuratively a runner. It's like let's run, just run,
0: <laughs> we're, we're gonna run and we're just gonna keep running. We're not even gonna look back. We're gonna we're keep going.
1: Back. Yes, we're not gonna breathe either. We're not the lungs don't need anything. We just need to run. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just run without. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. then okay, so jumping back forward again, you talked to your friend and she asked you. What do you need?
1: Yes, and I said the only thing I could think of is um I've I've spent most of my my life in therapy. You know, um when I went through the childhood trauma, I ended up in I had a selective mutation. You know, I, I actually chose not to speak, which is interesting. You know, I talk a lot about my voice because. It's interesting how my voice was way of the way I controlled, you know, like I I, had, I used style treatment when I didn't know how to express myself anyway. And so I, I knew that I needed a therapist when things were, you know, I, I may have deviated every once in a while, but at the time I was seeing a therapist, uh, I had just um, a, a 16 year career had just abruptly ended and it was a huge part of my identity. And remember, the checklist involved retiring from a career, not all of a sudden it ending. Um, And so I was seeing a therapist and I was active. However, I wasn't telling him this one big thing that I was drinking. And in fact, it was interesting because there are times when I was on that couch getting therapy and he was opening up Pandora's box and it was I was getting very uncomfortable with what was happening that I would actually sip some alcohol before I got to see him. And this day I knew, I knew I, I needed to tell him. And he didn't once again, just like, just like my friend, there was no judgment, there was no hesitation. Uh, he said, let me make one phone call. And I ended up at a rehabilitation center.
0: Wow. That's an amazing story. And I, I think it illustrates so well the deep well of shame that keeps people from reaching out and getting the support. And each time you did, you got support. People wanted to help you. Yes. Um, that's so great that you did.
1: I did, and you know, it's still. I keep that part of my life fresh, just to honor it. You know, some people say that the past is the past. Absolutely you know, but the, that past actually gives me a lot of joy today because I'm able to see the power of people because there are times now I get to observe my old self through others and I want to just grab them and, and let me get help you. But I, I can't unless they're ready. And, um, yeah. and so I see an honor that that was what's happening, what was happening to me. I didn't know. What was interesting is, I also spoke victimese. I didn't share that part of my story. So I spoke Victimese very fluently. And what that means for me is I, I was such a victim. Like I remember all the stuff that had t- transpired young when I was deep in my in my disease. When people asked me, I would share all that deep stuff. And of course, who wouldn't understand? You know? Because at some point, although I was hiding it, it was starting to slowly be discovered by those close to me, you know? And they didn't know how to help. And I, because I was binge, I would stop, you know, and go long periods of time without drinking. And there was no rhyme or reason. It wasn't because, it wasn't because somebody died or, or we're going to a wedding. It could be anything in between that. I would still pick up a drink. And once I started, I had no control of how much, right. when I would stop. I didn't have, that's what, that's when I knew after coming on this side, that's when I knew I had a problem because before I saw it that way, because before I was like, wait, I just started drinking. I don't drink. I really don't drink that much. As a matter of fact, big chunk of my drinking was wine, just wine, you know? And so I would say, you know, (laughs) I would make jokes like Jesus created wine, like it's organic. <laughs> right.
0: It's okay. <laughs> right.
1: You know, it's organic. It's just, it, it's grapes. It's just fermented grapes. Like, I'd find ways to convince myself it's just wine. But there's something innately different about me um, that wasn't with my friend or my therapist, but they were still willing to help me the best way they knew how. And the best way he knew how was to send me to a rehab. So that phone call completely changed the trajectory of my life.
0: Wow. And I would imagine that would be so difficult if you're this perfectionist that is, this is how my life is going to go. And this is what it's going to be like. And this is what it, how it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you're going to a rehab. I mean, that really just throws a wrench in that.
1: Uh, yes, but you know, Duane, I had to still be a perfectionist. So I went to rehab.
0: Yes, <laughs> you did. I
1: was dressed really nice. <laughs> I was dressed really nice.
0: <laughs> I think that's so great. You say that. That is that is a perfect perfectionist statement. I'm going to do rehab. Perfect.
1: Exactly. You're not going to stop me. I remember they they had a list of things that you could take for clothing and things you couldn't take. And and I didn't have anything in my closet that fit that bill because they didn't allow so much. But I said, you know what, they can't change what I'm wearing right now. What happens when I get there is fine, but right now, so I wore these nice high heels and a skirt and I mean it wasn't even my own friend who was pregnant and warbling, <laughs> she's looking at me like, where are you going? And uh but I had, <laughs> one, I had to do that one thing perfect too. So no, she wasn't perfectionism wasn't dead yet. It was the beginning of the death of it though. And that that's all good.
0: So let's let's talk about that going into the the, the death of this perfectionism. And uh starting this new life, I guess.
1: Yes. So for me it's really just it's been I mean it's really corny to say, but it's been like like a new life, like a new like a rebuild, like a reinvention, a reformation, whatever word you wanna use. So the there are times I have to look in the mirror and go, Who are you? What happened? Uh, and the way that just started for me initially was uh, saying yes to abstaining. And the way it looks like for me is, it's not because the day's too long. Initially it was just abstaining in that moment. Like, because I, I started realizing the things that I didn't have a thing that drove me to drink. It was uh, extreme things. Like sometimes it was the weather. Sometimes it was because my, you know, my, the people who I love looked at me the wrong way or, you know, my kids. Uh, didn't eat the breakfast that I made. I mean, I made excuses to to drink. So it started with abstaining and I, I started learning some tools in rehab that could help me stay away from picking up in the moment because I didn't know this, but it was, um, although I hadn't done it for too long in terms of years, it had become such a way for me that that was a reflex. It was instant. It was gratifying. So it was just the way I went. And, and because I was a hider, I always had it hidden somewhere and I would reach it. It was always somewhere at arm's length. And so it was easy. It was gratifying. It was quick. And all of a sudden I'm being asked to identify feelings and I'm being asked to, to share in rehab. What are you feeling? nobody had really ever asked me how I was feeling. You know, I, I I mean, that's not part of how I grew up. You know, my parents were very good about making, you know, you knew, you knew you were loved, but they were not the ones who hugged you every five minutes or constantly told you I love you. So I I had this, this um, hole of feelings are not that important. You know, it's, I can just dismiss them. When I found alcohol, I was able to express them, but sometimes they were on the other extreme of expressing them while I'm slurring my words too, and you couldn't understand me. So that journey of, of the perfectionism dying was really started unfolding with just that one decision for that moment, I'm not going to drink, and instead of me drinking, I'm going to share where I am, and I'm going to ask for help as needed.
0: Wow, that's a that's a huge shift.
1: It was huge. It was huge, and it was sudden because I, now that you know, I have a few 24 hours behind me, I've come to learn that my mind always lived in the future. That's why I had this big expectations of myself in my life. And I would transfer those to those around me as well. And so to learn to live in the moment and hold back something that's going to be in my mind gratifying, but yet damaging in the long run wasn't easy because that's not the way my mind works. So it had to be quick. It had to, I had to be willing to start this lifestyle immediately because um, I was taught by those that have helped me along the way that as an addict, when I ask for help, I have a very short window of opportunity. It's very tiny because whatever it is that you've been feeding is saying, hello, what, what are you doing? Did you forget about me? So it's a very short window and it's you've got to be vigilant. And I was really vigilant about feeding you know, my alcoholism. So now I started feeding my recovery at the same time. Great. and that it started being beautiful, but it wasn't at the beginning.
0: Right, I would imagine. I mean, it is. I mean, we're making those kind of changes. Mm-hmm. Those, those those can be painful, scary, frightening. All of those other emotions can come up for us. A question I have too is: When did you now going through this decide? You know, I I want to share my story with other people.
1: I didn't decide. That's the funny thing. So okay. I, I can't say I had a conscious decision why I said I'm going to do it. So the way I started living my life very, very early in this journey was I started doing the complete opposite of what I would have normally done. So, I started being super honest, a little too honest. Like, if somebody at the grocery store said, How are you doing? I would tell them the truth. <laughs> and all they want to say is hi. You know what I mean? <laughs> I became very honest and, yeah. and went to even to strangers. And uh, because I needed to start practicing what honesty felt like, even when it was uncomfortable, you know, telling someone I'm not okay without feeling a source of shame. And so I started being very, very honest. Um, I had had a very long standing career. And within you know when you when you have a career that is you know you have a lot of responsibility on you, there's certain ways you do things um and and it's not gonna suddenly stop. So the way I did things and the people I started to surround myself with started saying, "Why don't you have a gift?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" They said the way you express yourself, the way you express yourself. It's so easy for me to follow and understand, and it's you have a lot of aha moments. And because I was I was journaling my journey, that's part of my my ritual is the discipline of really being in that moment. And when I'm writing, I'm in that moment. I'm, I I can't write and run at the same time, you know. And so. I just started sharing a little bit with my friends, you know, I would, um, I would voice record, you know, something that uh, resonated with me that day or an inspiring message. And I just sent it to a few friends. Anyway, uh, about a year into my recovery. Yeah, it was about a year, maybe a little less than a year uh, into my recovery. I got certified as a, as a coach, but I was still sitting Uh, in discomfort. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing because my my life, my whole life until then had been in corporate America. And perfectionism and corporate America are perfect matches. And that voice of sharing this story was not a part of my DNA. Like the the thought of a stranger hearing this in my mind, what are they going to think? And you know, where I live, my name is somewhat unique. Where I come from, it's not. But where I live, it's like, so... That's how the worlds collided was I just kept living life. I just kept documenting. I just kept sharing it because, you know, I was in a period of wait and corny. I'm going to say the next thing is very corny, but I was told when I'm in a season of wait, do what waiters do and serve. So I was serving at a very high level. Um, I was serving very, very freely And in that, um, I, I got certified as a coach and I believe that if you're going to master a craft, you also need help. So I hired a coach. The coach is not, uh, does not have, you know, is not in the line of addiction or anything. And I was sharing something and he said, you cannot, it would be disservice for you not to share this. And that was the first time I heard it differently. I had to pay someone to hear it differently. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, but that's okay. Sometimes that's what we need.
1: Yes, and that's it. so. I always jokingly say, but it, it is the truth. The path chose me. I didn't choose the path. It chose me and then pursued me. And I'm still struggling with that. You know, I recorded a couple podcasts and then I took a step back to really seek what is it, what messages that I want to really carry. You know, I coach. I coach now for a living, and I speak for a living now, and I train for a living, and it's like, it's literally like a whole a, a whole life that it's like a, a, a birth of a whole person. And it's been interesting watching the transformation because those things I described to you earlier, like the speed and the perfectionism and the I've got to know, I've got to have this checklist and it's going to be checked off as I go. Those things slowly started dissipating and I, and I didn't see it coming. I didn't even know it was happening I started relaxing and leaning in to the now. And I found out that this is the future. I'm creating the future right now. I used to think that, what do you mean? Because it was one thing when I had, you know, expectations that on a certain day I'd have a salary (laughs) in my bank account deposited. It was another one where you're like, okay, universe, what are we doing today? You know, and uh, so, and being a, an addict, there's certain disciplines I have to have. And and I don't say I have to have any perfectionism way. Like if I don't do it, I don't get struck. You know, it's going to be okay. What happens with me, not even to me, what happens with me when I don't do those things for a certain amount of time is what I don't want to have to experience anymore. It's just that uneasiness, that discomfort. It's a, it's unnecessary for me today. So there's certain disciplines that I like. I've actually started to enjoy them. There's certain routines, and yeah, I, it's it's been it's been a journey. So a long answer to your question is it chose me.
0: It chose you. I I'm so glad it did, and I I'm really glad you're sharing your story because I, I think your experience is is a human experience, and so many times I think so many of us can get. Loss that we we don't realize we're we're like everybody else you know we all have these fears and insecurities and and shame and and sometimes trauma and if we share our story uh, i think it it so many more people and and to mitigate that suffering so i'm glad it chose you
1: Thank you. I'm so glad I did too. We would not have crossed paths otherwise. So yes, I am glad.
0: Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about how you're helping people because I believe you have a, a program. And can you tell me about that and how you help people?
1: Yeah. So I have a program. Uh, Part of that journey and part of it choosing me, I got downloaded, literally just got downloaded to me, a name. And that's how the birth of that name of the podcast came around is Wanjon Air. Air actually stands for actions in recovery. Recovery is not limited to a use of a substance. It's really your core beliefs. It's how you act out of those core beliefs, how you live out those core beliefs and how they can limit Whatever it is that you're, you're meant to be or do or anything else in between. And it starts off, you know, like, uh, I'm finding there has been, uh, without me seeking it, there's been a lot of attraction, um, working with families, you know, because this is the dynamic of, uh, individuals who have experienced either trauma and it's led them knowingly or unknowingly to compulsive behavior or it's led them to addiction. And um, and especially after this global pandemic happened, and you know, you you thought you had a little bit of control, you know, just a tiny little bit. Like I can set my alarm and get up at a certain day. I can see my kids off to school, and then suddenly you they're not going to school. They're they're staying with you all day. You're supposed to be working. And even even though you may not call yourself an addict, everybody right now, including myself, is recovering from an expectation you know what I mean? So expectations. one. Um, so what I like, what I work on with, with uh the individuals that I brought my, in my path is, is we work on foundations. We, uh, you know, we download all of that stuff that's going on because, you know, if you don't know where you are or where you're coming from, you really don't know where you can even map to go. Uh, and I'm not saying we map and it's, this is exactly what's going to happen. You know, I'm saying that, Start there. Start where you are. What is your reality? And is it is your reality real? You know, so one of the I have a six step uh, program and one of the steps is, is you actually get to ask people around you. You give them some questions and ask them. So, so answer these questions genuinely and you match them ab- about how you see yourself. Cause a lot of times we don't see, like, like I told you, I was helped to get here. You know, th- there's some things that were limiting me. My own beliefs were limiting me from being willing to even share my story. I had to hear someone else say, Wanja, it would be a disservice. You know, that's not ego that's not, you know, right. I have to distinguish those two. That is another human being who may be sent to send that message to you. And if you don't listen to it, just like that window of opportunity goes with addiction and recovery, it's the same with, with other facets of our life. Because I've had this, you, I, I I used to say unique, it's not unique. I've had an opportunity to live in multiple cultures. I've had an opportunity to experience uh, life in so many different ways. You know, um corporate work, work-life balance, being a parent, you know, going through a divorce because I went through a divorce sober and stayed sober. And that was interesting. And and, and my marriage ending was not part of that that list that, that I right, right. So now right. I get how people see, you know, even the wording you choose to use, you know, and, and I didn't even know I was doing it until someone started calling me out on it. So I helped them just simplify their life with um, a foundations of where we're starting map where they're going and what I love is when I see that light bulb go off you know when I see right. that aha moment for them and the best part about coaching is I don't get to give you the answers because the answers reside within you anyway and so I don't know where it comes from but even before even during and even after strangers have always been very open to share with me. And it's happened since I was a little child. My own children wonder. They're like, how long have you known that person who just walked up to you? I just met them the same time you did. So now I give them a platform and a space to feel like you can share whatever it is that you need to share. Okay, now, what do we need to do to move forward? And what actions, intention do we need to take? It doesn't mean we have to be doing something. Sometimes it's we need to quiet that mind. So you may be in therapy, you, you might have this and this going on. I come in as your coach, you know, I come in as your partner, you know, and, and allow your platform to take all of that, place it on the, on the table and map it out. And the end result is what I call mission possible you know, and, and you, it's not going to stay within you if you don't pay forward. So some people pay forward by writing, you know, some ebooks or write a book or however they choose to do it. Some people pay forward by being more open in the community, because like I mentioned, the universe doesn't always necessarily send me people. Um, they've sent me my old me just before I picked up a drink. You know, they've sent me people who are afraid. They have a, such a fear of it that they almost want to put themselves into that little bubble, like, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen, you know, cause we can get addicted to stress without even knowing, you know, to a core belief without even knowing. So that's where we step in. You know, I say we, because I don't do this on my own, you know, it's books and reading and helping others and um, keeping myself up to speed. So.
0: Absolutely. And I, I have a saying that, you know, we heal through the eyes of others. We can't see all of ourselves. We need other people to help us. And reaching out for help, getting support and finding it, it's just the thing you you got to do. If you really want to grow, you, you got to reach out for help and get support yes. from other people. So, mm-hmm. so Wanja, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. Before we go, if people want to find out more about you, where, where can they go? Where can they find you?
1: They can come run with me. So at the moment, I am in the process, marching forward. Actually, it's being birthed this month. It's, it's a, a movement called Letting Ego. So they can find me. They have to put the www ahead of Letting Ego. Uh, it will also be available on Wanzhou.com on air uh, and actions in recovery they want to book a session with me it's complimentary they can find that through actionsinrecovery.com there's a calendly they can set up a time uh for us to to come in together it is complimentary and through the letting ego if they go through that path uh i'm going to have seminars as well as a private facebook uh, page because i believe with the things we're talking about as we walk through and run through this together we need a safe space. So there's a, a, a birth of things that I'm doing that I would never have dreamt of doing because I'm a very private person. So I'm just not opening that up. So if you will hear my voice and you want to run with me differently, you know, because I in me still right. lives. Let's let the ego go because the ego is um, is what held a lot of what was going on in my life where I didn't live with intention and it was holding me back because letting go is just it it sounds so good rolling off the tongue but there's that ego that ego that you hold on to
0: i love that name i think it's awesome
1: yeah and i even have merchandise to go along with it so maybe i need to send you something yeah yeah
0: i would love it (laughs) um and i will put all those links in the show notes as well uh at the and so people can access it there as well wanja Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your voice and your wisdom and your experience on the Addicted Mind podcast.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It was such a pleasure. And if this touches one individual, that's all we do today. Just one is enough. Thank you.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast as usual, all the show notes will be at the addictedmind.com forward slash one two one. And don't forget, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes or share it with someone you think would benefit from listening to The Addicted Mind or would get some support from hearing all the guests' different stories. Alright, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol.